Welcome, everyone, to Ask the Expert. I'm Ross Brand, and tonight's show is brought to you by Livestream Universe, LivestreamUniverse.com. And I'm so excited that Andy Crestadina is joining us for a discussion of content marketing. Andy is the author of Content Chemistry. Let me see if I can capture the book a little bit uh, here in the camera. This way, that way, up, down, not sure exactly, uh, but Content Content chemistry, it's its an illustrated handbook for content marketing. I keep it with me almost all the time for, for, for reference. Uh, it's got both a lecture and a more uh, practical section. Um, and, and Andy really covers content marketing, um, both with you know uh, a real depth of subject matter expertise, but also in, in a broad uh, scope so that you know no matter what area you're involved in um, you can find you can find something there for you that, that you can refer to and he's also the creative director at orbitmedia.com an award-winning uh, web design company and do you also do uh, like social media consulting at orbit or is it strictly strictly web design just recently we started doing some more consulting with clients it's mostly like uh, analytics and SEO consulting, a little content mm -hmm. strategy consulting. Uh, and it's almost all for current clients, like web design clients. But there are a few that uh, we pick up. And we just get passionate about the brand and they need a lot of help. And we see a lot of low-hanging fruit. So we do have some of those kind of strategic sort of engagements. Great. So let's start Let's start big picture, okay? Um, one question sometimes people have is, how is content marketing different from marketing or web marketing or online marketing or digital marketing what how, how do you define content marketing as its own space the simplest way uh for me to describe it or the way that i think of it content marketing is the distinction between owned and earned versus paid there's two kinds of marketing content marketing and advertising advertising is paid it's done with uh content marketing is about um help and advertising is about hype. Content, content marketing is about using your brains. Advertising is about using your budget, right? Mm -hmm. Guy Kawasaki has a quote. He says, if you have more, more brains than budget, do inbound. If you have more budget than brains, do outbound. That's the idea. That's the difference. Content marketing is about uh, the magnet attracting people to us, like inbound. Advertising is about the hammer. Pushing our message out, that's outbound. Now, uh, not to to get too semantic or whatever about it, but let's say you write a, a blog post, right? You share that post on Facebook. Mm -hmm. That post does okay. Now you pay a few dollars to boost it, and so more people see it. Is that is that still content marketing, or you're getting into advertising once you're paying to be seen? Did, maybe there is some gray area, but technically that's advertising. You're paying. Right, you're not trying to win that visitor. That boost, right? That that's an advertising model. Uh, so, I guess you know you could see, and there's a comment there, and I I kind of get it, you know. But uh, fundamentally, another way to think about it is um, content marketing is about three main channels: search, organic search, uh, social media, and email. As soon as you're boosting a post, that's paid social. That'd be advertising. Right, right. And when you're talking search, you're talking about people finding your content um, most helpfully to you in terms of conversions would be if they're finding it at your website, right? Yep, yep. Uh, where there's traffic, there's hope. 
Right. Our goal <laughs> as content marketers is to draw that visitor in. There's two numbers that really matter. The total number of visitors, traffic, and the percentage of visitors who take action, conversion rate. Traffic times the conversion rate equals success, equals leads, equals sales, equals donors, equals event registrants, equals job applicants. So everything that we do in marketing should be totally focused on affecting one of those two goals, one of those two numbers, traffic or the conversion rate. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, if someone's on a, on Facebook, you don't really convert. There are certain ways, but generally, we you know, we convert people when they're on our own site. So our goal is to uh, get people there. And is the way you do that through list building, uh, unless you have obviously, um, you know, an online marketplace on your website, your, your, your way of doing that is through list building and then email marketing to those folks. Is that how you, you see if you're starting kind of with the end in mind, right? After they've read sure. your content, they've become aware of you. They've become interested in you. They've become a fan. They're visiting your website now, and now they want to sign up for your, not really for your uh, email list because nobody really wants to sign up for a newsletter, right? They're signing up for some type of lead uh, magnet. I, is that is that kind of the the just trying to walk through the strategy, right? And then you you capture their email, and, and now they're no longer just another follower on Facebook or Twitter. Now you have a way to market right. to them. Directly, it can be right? a lead magnet. I personally don't use any lead magnets. There's nothing on my website oh, where you okay. have to subscribe to no gated content. Uh, but here's an example. So I'm writing an article about uh, in search, our goal is to make the best page on the internet for the topic. So as an example, I wrote an article not long ago about web design for footers, footer web design. And I tried to make the best page on the internet for the topic of website footer design. And I, op I very carefully optimized it to rank for the phrase website footer design. I didn't spend money on this, but I spent 10 hours researching and making this the best answer on the internet for all the questions related to website footer design. Now, the visitors to that page, and right now there's like 50 people every day that come to that page looking for this topic, a percentage of those people do sign up for the newsletter. There's no cost. There's no hook, right? It's just telling people that I write an article like this every two weeks. So we, so we get between five and 10 right. people per day that sign up for the newsletter. <laughs> Altogether, we have like almost 12,000 people. We've never paid for the list. We've never sold these subscribers. We've never sent them a promotional email. <laughs> All we do is try to help. All I do is try to help. So right. I'm just trying to give away my best information all the time. And in that way, we have attracted ridiculous traffic. 60,000 visitors per month without right. a single right. dollar in spent, I mean, out-of-pocket paid advertising. But, uh, uh, and as such, you know, we, we have uh, high organic rankings for not just the website footer design type helpful question related phrases, but also the buyer related keyword, <laughs> uh, two kinds of keywords on the internet. The buyer related keywords are things like Chicago web design, e-commerce, mobile web design. And that's how we generate so many leads. So um, 60,000 visitors per month, around a thousand qualify, around a thousand leads per year. Uh, without any advertising spend, we generate something like... Um, uh, we're a 36 we're a 36 person firm with about five million in revenue, and uh, and no advertising. We're strictly a content marketing platform. Fantastic. And um, one of one of the things that that you do really well, and you 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 alluded to it here, was that um, you really optimize around keywords. Can you talk a little bit about how you do that and how 
um, not only you selected the keywords that you used, but then how you integrate them into your content so that they can sure. be most effective. So Google is a semantic search engine. It's not really about the phrase as much as it used to be. And I've done, I did SEO 16 years ago when it was really just about trying to trick a robot, which was lame. We just felt like a spammer. Like it was terrible. <laughs> SEO was such a sketchy thing back then. And it's way better now because the search engines are smarter and we'd really just try to be helpful. Our goal is to be make the best page on the internet, as I mentioned. So the website footer design topic. I start researching phrases and I use the Google Keyword Planner and I can tell there's some people searching. It said, I think 60 people a month are searching for website footer design. Not very many. Website footer best practices. We might get a trickle of traffic from that. But I go deeper. So when you search for website footer design in Google, you can scroll down to the bottom and it says people also searched for website footer examples. I put that word on my list. Website footer uh, copyright. I put that on my list. Website footer sitemap. I put that on my list. I'm looking for evidence of that there are any related phrases to my topic. And when my article started out, it's like, I'm going to write 18 things you can put in your website footer. But I'm getting more and more ideas and my art and my, my article is going to get better and better. It actually improves the quality of my article, which is the most important thing. Right. I also go on like Google search suggestions. If you type in website footer and then put an A, Gonna suggest some phrases. Put a B. Mm -hmm. It suggests other phrases. It suggests these as if you might want to search for them. But I'm looking for clues that these are semantically linked phrases because I'm trying to spread out my meaning across the broader topic. Now, here's a tool and a trick. If you go to keywordtool.io and put in a, a phrase, it will show you all the things that Google will suggest as if you typed in the next letter of the alphabet. Killer tactic, right? Because now I've got a giant list of like 15 or 20 different words I want to use in my article that are semantically linked. Right. I have found evidence. These words are semantically linked to my topic. So I am just used, and as I write the article, I just cross them off the list. I end up with an article that's much more detailed than I had expected to write. Now it's like 27 things you want to include in your website footer. And I have also targeted the topic, not just the key phrase. So you don't worry about um, as some people do, keep it short because if it uh, takes a while to read the article, nobody will read it or, or things like that. Your, uh, your goal with the article is to drive up search. So the long, a longer, more substantive article with more keywords is going to elevate your search around that well, topic, as a clue, right? the average ranking page in Google is 1,500 to 2,000 words long. There's no point mm -hmm. in trying to write a short article if you're thinking about making the best page on the internet. I'm not worried that my audience will read the article. Not, not, I mean, that's not, that came out wrong, but basically I'm trying <laughs> to get it. I'm trying to drive traffic to this article, but I'm going to do it by making it the best article about website footer design. I can't do that in a thousand words. I need 2000 words to do that. Now I write, I'm very careful to make sure my audience engages with my content. So I try deliberately, I try really hard to use short words. I write short sentences. I write short paragraphs, but I do not write short articles. I, will, I write scannable content that is very detailed and thorough. Mm -hmm. People do not like long paragraphs. I bet you can get better engagement on a on a on a, a five thousand word article with very short scannable paragraphs, subheaders, bullets, and bolding than you could on a 500-word article with super blocky, tall walls of text. So make your content scannable. 
but don't bother to try to make it short. Make it the best. Yeah. And and every paragraph should be one to two sentences, basically, if it's not bullet points or bullets. <laughs> right. Uh, broke up my rule stuff. for sentences for, for for paragraphs is not a number of sentences. It's the num it's the length of it's the number of lines. I never write a paragraph longer than three, maybe four lines at most. It might be one sentence, but now those those lines will vary, though, if you're looking at it on a 27 inch widescreen monitor versus a cell phone, right? You you have a one sentence on a cell phone, and all of a sudden it takes up. If it's a decent written, uh, you know, decent length sentence, it'll take up seven lines. I would my general. So there's research on this. The uh, content that's easiest to read, the line length is eight words long. When line length goes longer than eight mm. words, visitors tend to lose their place. So what I would say is uh, on desktop, which is 60% of my readers, on desktop, my blog is a fixed width of 600 pixels. And uh, that's where I make sure that the line, that the paragraph length is three, maybe four lines at most. So now you said uh, about 1,500 to 2,000 words is is what the top pages tend to, yep. to contain, right? Um, is there is there a minimum that you want to hit? For example, a lot of people who are who are on this uh, on on this blab right now uh, do sure. live streaming, right? And at the end, they have they have some content, whether it's embedding a blab, whether it's uploading to YouTube, and then embedding on their page using a a plugin to to draw it over mm -hmm. to their website, and they write some type of blog post around it. That blog post could be as simple as who's who's on it and what the topic is and it could be as extensive as you know a transcription i'm assuming most people don't have the time or want to spend the money to get it mm -hmm. transcribed what how many words to make that blog post likely to be found since it's predominantly mm -hmm. video <laughs> how many words should we be writing well it's not my first thought i don't write with a target length in mind uh, I write with a topic in mm -hmm. mind. For example, we had one that went live this morning. It's like, what to do if you ever get press? Let's say you get mentioned in the media. You got press. What do you do? My article, I kept adding to it. I thought about it for for almost a year. I had this list like I, where I'm thinking more about it, and I'm trying to make it a really uh, just a, the best piece of – this isn't even optimized for search, but I'm trying to focus on making it really high quality. Uh, by the time I was done, I'm looking at it now, uh, 2,400 words long. <laughs> <laughs> totally scannable. It's a list <laughs> post. It's 21 things to do if you get press. But uh, uh, it's true. The average high-ranking page is like 1,500 to 2,000 words. Google loves Wikipedia in certain data sets and experiments. Google, uh, Wikipedia ranks more than any other site. Uh, but it's um, what, I would, what I would focus on. If you understand Google, then you really know that it's a research tool and that it needs text to understand what pages are about. And they'll get more evidence if you make, if you make it something that uh, has... Um, you know, if it's longer, that's just a more opportunity to cover the topic more exhaustively, um, which is what Google's trying to do. Find the best page, find the most relevant page on the internet for whatever that person just searched for. So when people say things like, oh, it has to be 300 words or it has to be 450 or it has to be 500 words to no. show up uh, for Google to index no, it, or there's no, there's no, it's, science it's not true it, because right? I mean, there's certain phrase, I mean, it depends on the phrase. So let's say I'm trying to rank for some super obscure phrase, like what I wrote an article years ago. It was a poem about SEO. <laughs> that, I'm that big of a dork. Web and it ranks <laughs> and it ranks number one for web marketing poetry. 
But guess what? <laughs> it's probably the only place on the internet that has that combination of words, web marketing poetry. I probably could have written a hundred words right. that had that combination of words and letters together, and it would have ranked just fine. It's probably yeah. it's not a haiku, but it's right. not a long poem. You know, it. Rachel Moore says she did a sonnet. That's on awesome. Media we should collect that. Why don't we make a list? Rachel, share that with us. I want to see it. I, I, I definitely want to uh, link with that. Yeah, I am big pentameter. Well done. I know what you mean. I, I'm a I'm a poetry dork too. So uh, I notice meter and poetic meter all the time. It's in music a lot. But uh, no, I think it's um uh it depends on the competition. You know, if you're trying to rank for ambidextrous armadillo, just. You can make the only page on the internet with those two words together. Length isn't the big factor. It's relevance. You, you only have to hope that somebody's and, searching and no for it. No one's searching right? for I mean, web marketing poetry. <laughs> right, right. So um, it, it just um, – and, and anybody's welcome to jump in with a question or enter a question sure. in the chat mm -hmm. box for, for Andy. We'll cover whatever uh, you know related to this topic that you want to talk about. Um, for people who do – uh, blabs and other live stream shows, and and a lot of the content is obviously a bio of the guest, a ho the bio maybe a bio of the host, what have you. Is it okay to just use a bio that's already sort of being cycled? Or, I mean, when I do like the blog posts on on my shows, for most of the time, I take what's out there and write an original bio obviously it's not really original it's got all the same things but just so it doesn't read like duplicate content and i'm starting to think that's yeah. a real waste of time and i go to somebody's bio and i copy and paste it on the last few weeks because i'm getting tired of spending an hour or two writing somebody's bio that's you know i can just take off their their linkedin For or sure. their, yeah. their website so that's not things like that aren't going to get me a duplicate content penalty or something because I'm like people I live in terror of that like you know I've I will give you I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna say something that is very contrarian and that maybe people may disagree with but I challenge anyone to actually show me an example of a real life duplicate content penalty there is no such thing Ross nothing bad's gonna happen. Okay. There are people who copy. <laughs> so the Chicago Tribune asked me if they can copy my, my articles and put them on their website. Sure. Absolutely. I would love for you to do that. The American Marketing Association right, right. asked me if they can copy and paste my articles into their website. I am thrilled that they do that. I'm fearless. Why? Google has always understood duplicate content. If you look at Google Trends in 2006, there's this big spike when everyone starts talking about duplicate content. I don't know what the, what happened when everyone started to pay attention to this and get afraid, become afraid of this. Show me an example. So here's an example of when it becomes a problem. The Tribune starts to repost my articles. Fine, no problem. They choose some things mm -hmm. from a few months ago, take them. They choose some things from a few weeks ago next, take them. Then they started reposting my articles the same day I posted them. Okay. It's mm, a problem. That's a problem, right? Because the search engine is combing the it same stuff. It doesn't know which is the, the original. Time, right? The risk is not a penalty. Right, right. Duplicate content doesn't somehow give you some general degrading of rank across your whole website. I don't know what people are truly afraid of. If you ask them, they can't really quite articulate it. But what happened there is there was a confusion in Google of which is the original. And the Tribune, of course, is a super high authority website. Mm -hmm. So Google thought that was the original. So I got upset. Right? I called the and I'm like, please don't copy my stuff the same day. Let's do. For, let, let's let it, let Google figure out what the original was. And when you post it there, just please link back saying the original post was here. Now that article, if you search for it, 
online networking guide. Search for online networking guide, my article is number one, and they rank number two. The exact same article. So who is penalized? The risk is duplicate content confusion, it, not, not a penalty. Is it necessary to use the no. canonical tag or can you, you can just put in this, this article first appeared at orbitmedia.com or something of that, you know, that I asked nature, the Tribune right? to put in the canonical tag and they said, we're sorry, we can't do this. Our, our weird custom CMS won't let us. I said, no problem. Just please link back to the article. So at the top of the article, it says the original's over there. That doesn't, yeah, you know, it's fine. No, go ahead. Go ahead. So now, uh, like another thing I, I do is um, on, I have two different websites where I post and I know we've talked off the air that, you know, I really shouldn't be dividing up my attention between mm -hmm. two websites, right? Because I'm weakening the domain authority if half the people are going to one and half mm -hmm. are going to the other, right? Well, right. Um, but for the sake of discussing duplicate content, I use a plugin that, that basically will pull this blab into uh, okay. my blog, right? And will pull all the comments as well as blog Great. comments. Um. But I only use that on one of the websites. On the other one, I use a, a YouTube embed. Um, and I don't pull the comments, even though I have the right to do it on more than one sure. website, whatever, I have the license for that. Um, is that. Is that smart or not smart? Like if Google found that I had the exact same comments for on two websites and there were a lot of com not like there were two comments but you know you you pulled whatever there are 100 comments 600 comments at the end of a show and there are the exact same 100 to 600 comments on two different blogs would google catch on and say somebody's gaming the system here no or? nothing bad is going to happen if okay. if <laughs> if those articles were both optimized to rank for a phrase then google would have mm -hmm. to decide which one to rank but those articles probably aren't even optimized to rank for a target key phrase anyway. No, one I, I don't really yeah. write anything on, and then the Nothing other one I write, awesome. and, and I do different headlines. Different headlines a good idea, or don't even worry about it's that. It's not going to hurt you to for both of them to have the same headline. Here's another example. So LinkedIn's a publishing platform. I take old articles I wrote and copy and paste them into LinkedIn. Same headline, same everything. Hmm. Why not? Cost nothing. Expo get you gets you better exposure. Medium is the same thing. You can copy and paste stuff right into Medium. Right. And, and, and Catherine has you on notice. Yeah. If something bad happens, Let like the collapse of the universe. I'll, I'll give you an example. Yeah. of. But it probably won't be a duplicate content. Right. Antimatter and matter collide and like the black hole opens and like Google destroyed <laughs> the universe. Here is a real life example of a, I said there wasn't such a thing, but actually here is an example of one that's close. A client's website was live. It's a weird pharmaceutical brand. And they, uh, we built this website and the, uh, uh, the company hired a PR firm and the very day that the website went live, the PR firm, very lazy people copied and pasted the homepage text into a press release and put the press release on PR newswire. So at the very same moment that this text appeared on their homepage, it also appeared in a thousand other places. The number was very high because it was, a, it was, you know, syndicated press release and it was on their homepage the first day the website went live. It looked immediate, it looked like spam, and they manually, a human at Google, manually blacklisted the domain. The client blamed us, even though we hadn't done anything wrong, and we had to go through this long process of filing what's called a reconsideration request. 
So there is, it is possible to be blacklisted and de-indexed from Google in very extreme circumstances. But that's not what anyone's talking about when they ask me about duplicate content. They're worried about like author bios, like you said, or copying and pasting a paragraph. There is nothing. Or even a whole article, article is fine, fine, as long as you indicate where, which was the first one and you don't need a canonical tag. It'll be fine. Just, just to highlight this, because I, if I have this question, I'm sure a lot of other people do. Um, as, as Rachel says, interesting. So you, you don't think we need to rework or repurpose a website blog into a LinkedIn post? That'll save uh, it will save time, time. But Rachel asked a great question for this reason. LinkedIn is not necessarily the same target audience. We're talking about content here. So we're talking about connecting with readers. It's it, LinkedIn is a general business audience. And if your content was for, you know, a niche, you know, chiropractor, financial advisors, whatever the thing was, it may not work on LinkedIn. It's always worth the time to make sure that it's the audience and the angle are a fit. If not, you know, it's not going to succeed there and you'll see low shares and low reads and, and low results. So uh, considering that LinkedIn is a general business audience, it may make perfect sense. But if your content it works for that audience, then just copy and paste. It's very easy. Actually, LinkedIn's really smart about it. If you copy and paste like from WordPress or someplace, it will copy and paste the images too. Like it's, I've done it before where it's like really beautiful how, how easy it is. Do you copy and paste off off of uh, the page or do you copy and paste like off I the page? I think HTML? I copied and pasted off the page and it worked pretty well. Uh, but uh, wow. you could, uh, it might have been the browser, it might have been that day or I don't know. Who knows? We're in Blab, so we're all we've all got our fingers crossed with with technology. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you feel you feel that 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 posting also to Medium, if if you think it works for Medium, putting your stuff on Medium is another way to get found. Putting your stuff on sure. uh, LinkedIn uh, Publisher is another way to to get found and 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 increase the likelihood yeah. that somebody goes to your website from there. Now, some people I've noticed do where they, they put like the first few paragraphs or they write a summary and then they say, to learn more about this, visit my website or, you know, to read the rest mm -hmm. of this article, click here to, to visit my website. What do, you, what do you think about that tactic? What well, you, it, it's, you know? uh, as we said, where there's traffic, there's hope. So it's smart. It's smart to mm -hmm. do things to guide people to the website. The effectiveness depends on how juicy the beginning was and how smart, you, you know, the teaser. <laughs> right. If there's no yeah. desire to read anymore, then the, the action yeah. was. I'm not, again, I'm like, I, my philosophy as a content marketer is to be extremely helpful and generous and just give away more than everyone else. So I've never done that, but mm -hmm. I could see why people would do that. Um, when I, as a reader, if I'm on Medium and I see that there's a note that says this article was originally, po originally posted somewhere else, I'll take the time to go to the original before sharing it because I want the actual author to get as much credit for the article as possible. Wow, that's great. Um, what, if you don't mind me asking, what what is your most popular blog post that you've ever? No, you've ever no one asked that. It's it's silly because it's not that close to my content mission statement, my strategy. But I wrote an article that mm -hmm. ranks number one for how to market an event that gets read like six thousand times mm -hmm. a month. Like every time somebody yeah. has an event and it has the question about it, how ranks to number an one. Event. It's fifty. It's fifty tips for event marketing. And it's the most popular page on my website month after month after month. It's a huge traffic magnet, which brings up an interesting question. I mean, most websites have one or two of these. Like one weird post that just gets tons of traffic. You know, it's very common. Right, Go look at your right. analytics. You'll see pages that are like, what? Like, why is that one so popular? 
So That's I might great, write great. an article one day about how to try to get more value from historical posts. So if anybody wants to jump in with a question for Andy or just uh, if you don't want to jump on camera, you can enter it in the chat box. Andy Crestadina is the creative director at OrbitMedia.com and the author of Content Chemistry. And one of the things um, I love about the book is you, you go through so many different ways to look at the effectiveness of your content, to measure the effectiveness of keywords, all, all, all different types of, of things. And you make the point, right? If you're not measuring, you're not doing content marketing. Can you give people who are just starting to look into measuring or maybe aren't selecting the right things, a few things that everyone should be doing? Like what's the, the least you need to know about measuring sure. your content? So the two numbers that matter are traffic and the conversion rates. Mm -hmm. And everything performs well or performs badly against those two numbers. Some things are great at driving traffic, like that one weird post that you have that ranks for that random phrase. <laughs> Some things are great at converting. You know, other content is might be very inspiring. Very few visitors ever see it, but the, but uh, five percent of people who do subscribe, it's, it it happens a lot. So the question becomes, uh, what is uh, is this working well at traffic, or is this working well at conversions? And you can ask that about in a specific article. You can ask that about a specific social media channel. Uh, you can ask that about uh, an email campaign. Uh, you can ask that about a key phrase. You can ask that about a time of day if you're sending newsletters. You know, so everything is really needs to be judged on that basis. So uh, some things are, you know, it, my friend Barry Feldman says, uh, if your website is the content, uh, if your website is the mousetrap, your content is the cheese. So marketers <laughs> make cheese and, and web designers so create mousetraps. Is it is it Google Analytics that you recommend using to to see where that traffic is sure. coming from? So I'll give you some shortcuts uh, just briefly here, and you're recording this, so you'll be able to share this easily or put this in show notes. And I could share articles that explain mm -hmm. all this. So if you go into Analytics and under Acquisition, there's a there's a section called All Traffic. Under All Traffic, there's a section called Channels. Now you're looking at a report for channels. If you click on the social uh, row in that report, it shows you all of your social media channels, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, Google, whatever, whatever it might be. Scroll over to the right and you can see the conversion rate from visitor into whatever goal you to set. So for example, hmm. what percentage of visitors to our website from Facebook subscribe to the newsletter? 0.5%. What percentage of visitors from LinkedIn subscribe to the newsletter? One point one and a quarter percent. Wow, totally different. As soon as you know this, you have a good sense for, you know, an hour spent on Facebook is is worth, you know, uh, half as much as an hour spent in LinkedIn. So you can quickly right, prioritize right. your time and decide what channels to focus on, to decide what type of content to focus on, to decide, uh, you know, is, is how good are we at email? Is that working? You know, should I be publishing more on this on this topic or that topic? Uh, it's all, every, every idea you have, you should turn it into a question and then use analytics to find an answer that will support or reject mm -hmm. the idea. That's the trick to marketing. When, when you see, um, you know, in general, and, and, and I know every single case is going to be different, right? In general, are you seeing that people 
maybe clients you work with, whatever, are spending too much time in one area and not enough time in another area? For instance, are they spending too much time on certain social platforms, not enough time with email or too much time with email, not enough, you know, uh, producing content that can be found via search, whatever. Like, where, where is, where do you think things are out of balance in general perception of what people should <laughs> be doing? That's the second time you've asked me a question that I, I just, I mean, why doesn't everyone ask that? It's such a great question. <laughs> the answer is, and I'm not the first to say this, marketers are spending too much time creating content and not enough time promoting content. Oh, I'm guilty of that. I'm, 100%. I'm not so sure. You did a champion <laughs> job of getting the word out for, for our conversation here. I mean, this, this is, uh, you look to be the case study of someone who's doing it very well. Ross, I, I love how you've done that. So, uh, well, I mean, hats off. It's really, it, you're doing a great job of promoting content, which is what not everyone does. So, uh, but I need to be promoting it after the show as well. And usually I'll share it on blog. I'll, I'll, I'll share it to social. And then, you know, I've got all these shows now sitting sitting there. And that's all easy content to distribute. And I'm not distributing well, it. So I, I need to be I feel I need to be doing more of that. Not not to the extent that you're you're seeing it, you know, every other minute in your Twitter feed. But certainly um, there, I could be there's plenty of hours I could be sharing sharing yeah. past shows that would drive if, traffic. Um, so as a general rule, they say, you know, you should spend twice as much time, at least twice as much time promoting as creating. Uh, here's a, here's a blab trick that I've used. Um, this works for lots of channels. So I record this podcast with Barry Feldman here in blab. It's called content matters. We do it every two weeks in blab. While we're talking, Amanda, my marketing manager is making a note of all the people that are interacting with us. When that goes live, we share it with those people in Twitter that when, when we post the podcast later. So what we have to do is look for opportunities while we create content to build lists or make notes of who we're collaborating with, who's listening now. If someone shares something that we created on Twitter, we go to LinkedIn and thank you that, and thank them for sharing it. When they see it in LinkedIn, they share it again. So, you know, you cross the streams, look for opportunities, uh, pay attention to who's who's interacting with you here, and then look for ways to invite them to interact somewhere else. Uh, the Another way to think of it is this. When you post a piece of content, how many people are waiting for that to go live? It better not be zero, <laughs> right? It better not be zero. <laughs> Somebody has to, you know, it should be waiting and ready and excited that that content is going to go live. Why? Because you, you you invited them into the comments already, you know, they you included them as a contributor quote. You know, you're going to post this somewhere someday and I'm going to share it. Why wouldn't I? Obviously. Right, right. So. And, and Catherine asks, how do you promote that much without good question. spamming? Here's the, here's the uh, idea behind that. So when you send someone an email, they have to take an action on it. You're forcing them to decide, ignore it, read it, delete it, do something with it. But mention, I'm talking about mentions in social streams. People wake up in the morning hoping to be mentioned. People want to be mentioned. So mentioning someone in social media, I've never had anyone complain. Oh, why did you mention me? Stop right. mentioning me. You know, people like to be mentioned. So uh, I'm just suggesting that if uh, you know, if if uh, if Ross, you and I collaborate on a piece of content, and Catherine shared it in LinkedIn, and we went to Twitter and said, "Hey, that you know, here is the post. P.S. Thanks for sharing it, Catherine." She probably would favorite it. She might retweet it. She might be great, you know, but, but it'd be weird if she said, 
please don't mention me in your social media streams because it's a stream. It's a fast moving stream. So I don't think that's spam at all. Right. Right. You know, a lot of people are, are, are spending a lot of time on, on Facebook and, and Twitter. I'm, I'm not finding, I mean, I have about 9,000 followers on my personal Twitter account. Right. And if I tag people in something like, you know, uh, I'm, I'm doing a show with Andy later, please, you know, please join us. People will, will like, and often retweet and share and things like that. And I'm obviously picking out people who, you know, I, I'm already connected with, but if I just mm -hmm. share a blog post, right? Like something from my HR site that, you know, a colleague wrote or something, mm -hmm. and I just share that, right? I, I mean, if I get three retweets on it and one site visit, it's like, that's the that's the hot uh, share. I know what you mean, yeah, or whatever for for blog content. And I'm wondering, you know, the amount of time it takes to maintain, you know, an active Twitter account and the return on it. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I'm spending too much time on Twitter, and and or if I'm uh, if I'm using it most effectively. And I'm, I'm sure other people have those questions too, because people are asking me a lot. Yeah. You know. Is this Twitter worth it? Is it worth it? Why should I be on Twitter when, you know, there's there's so much content, there's so much noise. I mean, I could have five people in a blab and get more more build more of a relationship with them than tweeting to a hundred thousand yeah. people. I, I can yep. guarantee that. Okay, I've got two <laughs> tips for you. Uh they're both about efficiency. Okay. Uh the first is about targeted sharing. So um Let's say mm -hmm. you and I, you know, this blab is about content, content marketing. Let's say we were going to produce some really specific content on the topic of um, keyword research for journalists, something like that, you know, or, um, you know, SEO for PR people or something like something specific that relates to two topics. If we go to search Twitter, we use a tool like Follower Wonk to find people who have both PR and SEO in their bios. Pick out three or four of those people because there'll be 50 of them. In two seconds, you'll see 50 of them. Put in two phrases to follow or walk, and you'll find people who are in that Venn diagram overlap who, are who will be extremely interested in the topic. Those people are much more likely to share, much more likely to engage. I once wrote an article that was like a content marketing article of, uh, with a zombie theme. And I said, oh, I wonder who has content marketing and zombie in their bio. 55 people, like some huge number. So I mentioned them when I share and they loved it. They were in the comments. They were talking about it. They all shared it. Like they, it's like I wrote the article for them. I just didn't know it at the time. So that's one tip is to share with the super specific people who are interested in exactly that article because they overlap with the two topics or they overlap with the topic and theme. The other idea that I have for you is, yeah, it's, you know, it seems like a waste of time to spend, to do all this on Twitter. It's a waste of time if it takes a lot of time, but if it takes very little time, it's quite efficient. So the content right. promotion piece in Twitter is something that can definitely be automated. Some of your readers might call me out as a spammer, but I, I totally recommend this tactic. The, the self-promotional tweets are one of three kinds of tweets. The Twitter rule of thirds. We share our own stuff. We share stuff mm -hmm. from other people and we talk to people. Conversation. Creation, curation, and conversation. Crea you know, the first one is stuff you made that you're promoting, driving traffic to your site. Second one is I'm going to share Ross stuff because he's an influencer I want to collaborate with. The third one is me just talking to people, answering questions, asking questions. Hello, you know, that's off. Thank you. That first third can be automated and should be automated. Costs you 50 bucks a month, but put it into Meet Edgar. And you can share, and, and I, I share 
four or five times a day on Twitter and once a day on LinkedIn with zero effort. I don't spend any time on it at all. <laughs> I'm telling you, it's very, and, and that is super valuable. So the trick is to know what to share and how often. Uh, I have a way, I, I use analytics to find the things that are most worth sharing here. I'm going to put in the link. That is my tactic for finding the content that is highest converting, that gets shared the most, hmm. and that gets clicked the most. So that's analytics and, and Hootsuite, and there's ways to get these numbers. Those are the ones that you put into heavy rotation in social media and set up the tool so that it does it shares these things you know three four or five times a day you know grabs from that bucket it doesn't share the same thing over and over you know it's it's but it just keeps it's like buffer but it never runs out it just keeps them in rotation right and i, and I get ridiculous i get many times more social traffic than i did before spending far less time and that's the edgar is the tool the edgar. that and once you put them in one time, then it figures out when to run them. You don't have to sit there and rebuffer them like uh, you do with. You don't have to rebuffer or... them, but it, but you do have to tell it when to grab from that bucket. So I have this bucket called super high value articles, okay. and I tell it when to do that. And I and it, and I don't recommend doing it on the hour. Do it at like ten o two, you know, because a lot of people schedule stuff to go at ten o'clock, right? Do it at nine fifty eight or ten o two. So that you're not in that mix of like super competitive stuff. So they call it uh, Jay Bear's trick. It's called micro opportunities. Uh, so it's just a uh, crazy. It saves me eight hours a month, and I get way more results than I used to. It frees up my time to do more of the interactive stuff, sharing stuff from people like you, or interacting mm -hmm. with people. So that self promotional stuff. I used to get up in the morning and try to buffer my old stuff. I never do that anymore. So you find that. Um what you do is when you search um, for people who, you know, intersect their, their, their interests intersect where your, your topic that you're going to be sharing on Twitter mm -hmm. is, let's say um, you either include them in your blog post and then you can mention them in a tweet or you just mention them in the tweet. Like you find a reason to mention them or you tag them in the photo or how do you go about, you know, making sure. that connection. So you just, you just talked about a higher value way to do it. The way I was suggesting, here's the tool that here's the post that explains that it's just finding those people and mentioning them in a tweet. Pretty simple. Okay. But your suggestion is something that I've been much more interested in lately, which is very collaborative content. Here's the four ways to collaborate with other people on content. Ross said something smart. I'm going to grab that and put it in my article as a quote, and then let him know that I took something from, you know, that I quoted him. A better way is I'm writing something on, on live streaming. I'm going to ask Ross for a quote, and, in, and he contributed. He wrote something specifically for this article. Right, right. Now he's waiting for it to go live. The next way is to find five people who are interested in live streaming and send each of them five questions. They all send back five answers, copy, paste, copy, paste. I've got five perspectives on five different questions, also known as the roundup. Five and then you've got five people who are eager to share it's it because it's about them. And then them. the final <laughs> way is what we're doing right now. It's basically choosing one person who is you know, super relevant to one topic and just going in a deep dive interview. Those are the four main mm -hmm. ways to collaborate on, with, with people on content. The idea goes to this. If... Content optimized for search includes keywords. Content optimized for social includes people. Put put people into your content. Right, put people right. everywhere in your content. Never post an article without a quote from somebody, right? If you look at my blog, I've got I right, mean, right. It's, it's way more fun. You make friends. You know, an ally in creation is an ally in promotion.
Right, right. Wow, that's a great that's a great quote. <laughs> you might find that on my blog. Please use it. Um, yeah. So, um, when you do tag people in a, in an article, you just tag them, figuring they're going to find that article interest. Then, or what is your sort of? Because sometimes people tag me in something, and I don't know why. Like, why did you tag me in that? What do I have to do? Somebody will tag me on on something. Uh, you know, they'll 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 put their their tweet together, and then they'll tag three people, and I'm sort of like, well, I, I don't work in healthcare. What did you, what did you tag yep. me on that? And they, and, and they didn't get your click, did they? <laughs> no, but I guess if they tagged me on something to do with live streaming, exactly. then I might be thankful. Or because I probably want to read that article or exactly. know what that it's news context, is. It's relevance. You know, so you've got to right, see the headline right. has to catch you and it should immediately catch you if they tagged you. I mean, th those people are shooting, you know, it's like shooting without aiming, you know, just, that's just blind. That's a waste of time. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, talk uh, briefly about your, your strategy for um, headlines. Cause I, I love the way you do headline writing um, with, you know the keywords, the the colon, yeah. and then what the what the, the thing that gets you to read it, right? Like it, it's a beautiful <laughs> strategy. So, as people. you know, people who've been listening can tell I'm always trying to combine search and social. I'm not creating any content with a plan to promote it. So everything that I create, I've got some idea for how I'm going to get traffic to it, or else I wouldn't create it. Probably right, like that's just a total waste of time. So uh, content that is optimized for search includes keywords. And there's some benefit to putting keywords early in headlines um, because uh, that's called keyword prominence. So a headline that has the keyword at the beginning of it, like website footer design at the beginning is going to be a good thing for search. Good things for social are questions. They're leaving a curiosity gap. They're using numbers, indicating it's a list post. So the kinds of things that I do for social, it's very different, you know, but you can combine these things and I do it a lot. Here's, here's some headlines. I'm, I'm just looking at my blog now. Fix your phone. Oh, that one doesn't have a key phrase first. Uh, web content checklist, colon, 21 ways to publish better content. So what you're seeing me do is, is uh, a search social combo. It, you're also seeing me use two headlines. The dash, the colon, or the parentheses are ways to double up on your headline and but basically write two headlines. You could take two swings at the same pitch, right? Mm -hmm. That person, you know, there's no reason not to. <laughs> you know, website footer design, colon, 27 things to put at the bottom of the page. So, I'm, you know, the number stands out against a row of text. This brings up a good point, though, which is about what is a headline. There are title tags, subject lines, H1s. These are all different types of headlines. And you don't have to use the same headline everywhere. I frequently adapt my headline for the purpose. I mean, I don't really know what a headline is when you think about it. I guess, you know, these are all different types. You know, is it a header? You know, the top of an infographic, is that a headline? You know, headlines are all, yeah, all different things. Right, so right. I don't think of them as headlines as much as what am I writing for the title? And I use a template I could share. The, the title, title tag the post, is right. one thing. The H1 header is one thing. Uh, the email subject line is, is often something entirely different. Email subject lines have nothing to do with search. It just, it's all about social and it's all about human psychology. So um, I believe in adapting these things for their purpose. But yeah, a general template is to use this, the double headline or a headline with a secondary headline. Keyword first, keyword colon number is my classic uh, formula for headline. You steal it. You're welcome. We're all welcome to it. Take my headline template, keyword colon number. 
Um, if you look at my blog, just click on my name. There's a bunch of podcasts in there now, which I need to change the design here so that the podcasts don't get mixed in as well. But um, design versus analytics, colon, five little decisions that make big analytics implications. Future-proof your search marketing, right, right. colon, five tips for the big trends. Website footer design best practices, colon, 27 things to put at the bottom. Uh, how about this one? 15 blog images colon best practices for adding pictures to every post there i was getting fancy the number is at the beginning and then it says blog images colon best practices i know that google's going to drop the colon right without paying attention to punctuation right so blog image best practices is actually there as it's sneaky right it's there as one combined bonded right, phrase right. in the dark <laughs> It's a, it's a great, it's yeah. a great strategy that you use. I really like it. I really like it. Um, so now, for when you post, um, I would say probably most people who are doing blogging themselves at this point are using WordPress. Not everybody, but it, it's a great do-it-yourself platform um, to learn. Do, are you going in uh, the HTML or going into um, the coding and and adding certain tags specifically to highlight titles and headlines, or as long as you use like the, the H1, you know, H2, you're, you're good and you don't really need to optimize. Well, we mentioned how I like to use short paragraphs because I really, really want to keep the, the scan reader mm -hmm. on the page. I never want someone to, to hit a block of mm -hmm. text. Uh, so we are putting in lots of formatting and we write a Google Docs and then Amanda copies and pastes this stuff into, into uh, WordPress. And she'll do it in a way that makes the code as clean as possible right into the HTML editor and manually uh, fixing it up. Now, the value, there's an SEO value, not just to having all places to put tags and not just in using the key phrase, but there's a very human aspect to SEO that people don't understand sometimes. It's the, the user interaction signal. Now, let's say, Ross, you and I both post articles on the topic of live streaming, and it ranks for a phrase. Visitor searches, they click on my article, and... It's like a giant wall of text. There's no, there's no formatting in the big paragraphs. And they hit the back button after five seconds. They scroll down. They see your right. article. They click, and they get to a beautifully formatted page with headers, subheaders, bullet lists, bolding, italics, internal links, multiple images. And they stay there for five minutes and hit the back button. And even if they're not reading the article word for word, if they spend time perusing the images and the quotes and the, you know, the yeah. pull quotes and the tags and all that stuff, then then you've you've you got you the, partially right, won and, and, and the, already, and the long right? click <laughs> is a signal of quality. I got the short click. You got the long click. Mm -hmm. Now we want to create that long click. In other words, they call it high dwell time, because that's a that's a a user interaction signal that's part of Google's algorithm. So if you can get the visitor to stay on your site for longer. Stay on page when they come from search. Stay on your page for longer. You've got a ranking advantage. All things being equal, the page with higher dwell time, more longer click, will rank higher than the other page. Now, it doesn't even matter if they scroll down. This is where your audience has a big advantage. Put a video at the top and text at the bottom. That person watches a four-minute video, and then even if they hit the back button, they just spent four minutes on your page. They got and you got the long click, which sends a positive right, right. user interaction signal. So I was talking about formatting, but for this audience, you got video. You know, video. It doesn't even have to be your video, right? Keep that visitor on that page. Add audio, video, and here's where I also am a big advocate for multiple images. You never want there to be a desert of text. 
at every, I, I mm -hmm. look, if you look at our content at every scroll depth, no matter how far down you scroll, there's a picture. I want there to be always something to look at, right? It's like the social media examiner strategy in a desert of text. Images are water. You've got to give your readers a sip. Don't let them get to a part of your article. That's just this long blocky block desert of text. So multiple images have an indirect right, and right. video have an indirect benefit on SEO because they create higher dwell time, the longer click. I think I try and put an image in for like every yeah. 100 words in a blog. Like if I do a 300 word blog, let's say I did 300 word blog post, I yeah. have three images. Or every like, you know, um, 400, every 400 pixels. Every yeah. time you scroll. And, and of course, again, like like I was saying, it, it depends on the size of your monitor because <laughs> on a cell phone, it seems like you, you, you could you could load that thing up with pictures and it's still, oh, wow, there's two paragraphs there. That'll that, that's a lot of uh, that's a lot of yep. scrolling on a cell phone. <laughs> so, listen, we're up against the top of the hour. Thank you so much, Andy. Um, the book is Content Chemistry and Illustrated Handbook for Content Marketing. Andy works for Orbit media.com he's the co-founder and creative director and um his website has a lot of great information uh on content marketing seo email marketing headline writing title blog title writing um what do you have what do you have coming up what should people uh, what should uh people look we're for? big advocates for event marketing and we have a conference coming up in august in chicago if anyone is nearby, I saw Darcy Schuler was on this a minute ago. She's a local. Uh, August 4th, I have some of my favorite content marketing speakers, Andrew Davis, Robert Rose, Justine Jordan, Jessica Best, Nick Westergaard. We've got some really champion, really great content marketing speakers coming to Chicago. It's right in the middle of downtown. It's a full day content marketing event. Uh, and I'm doing it the day before, if anyone really wants to go deep, I'm doing my four hour, the one I did South by Southwest my four-hour intensive SEO workshop It's on August 3rd. Wow. Uh, so contentjam.com. Uh, if you know anyone who's in the area and they're they interested in these topics, feel free to share. But um, yep, that's that's the big uh, that's our big thing coming up, and uh, we're very excited about it. Awesome, awesome. I put the uh, link here in the comments. And uh, coming up on live stream stars Monday night, 7 p.m. Eastern, Tyler J. Anderson, uh, the host of Social Media Social Hour podcast, the executive uh, producer of Social Media Day San Diego and the CEO of Casual Fridays will be joining us. So a lot to talk uh, to Tyler about. Thanks again to Andy Crestadina and everyone for stopping by and, and have a, Thanks, a great evening, everyone.